Well, hello once again to all of our friends there in Tulsa at the Mid-America Prophecy Conference. It's great to be with you once again. Again, I uh, apologize that I couldn't make it in person, but I'm so grateful that Phil gave me the opportunity to still uh, deliver these messages that I worked uh, hard on and really are am burdened about and, and really feel like it's a message that uh, we all need to hear. You know, one of my great regrets about uh, not being able to be there in person is that I can't hear uh, all of the other great speakers. I, I certainly miss that. I look forward to learning from some of the speakers at this conference, and hopefully I can catch the video uh, later. Uh, but uh, also not being there in person to hear them, I'm not able to kind of play off of what is being said. And, and so some of what I'm saying uh, quite likely is going to be repetitious from what some of the other speakers have uh, reported. <clears throat> but hopefully it's all in the Lord's hands, and hopefully this will be something that is edifying and encouraging to you. I want to remind you again that even though I'm not there in the room, I'm basically speaking from the heart and speaking to you as if we were all in the same room uh, together. This is a message uh, prepared and delivered for uh, you folks there uh, in Tulsa. Uh, the title of my message uh, today is Russia, Ukraine, and the New World Order. And before we dive in, I just want to remind you once again that because we're not in the same room. Uh, we weren't able to bring our resources and set up our usual Not By Works resource tables. Uh, but I want to tell you about my brand new book, The Spirit of the Antichrist. I mentioned this yesterday. Uh, it's almost 300 pages with 38 pages of bibliographic uh, citations. And uh, in it, I really expose how the Luciferian conspiracy is, is, is really coming to fruition right before our uh, very eyes. And so I hope you'll take the time to check that out. Uh, we are offering a free shipping uh, through the Not By Works resource store. Uh, you just go to spiritoftheantichrist.org, spiritoftheantichrist.org, and use the shipping code TULSA, with all caps, T-U-L-S-A, and you can order anything, including the book, from our store uh, for free shipping. And we'll probably leave that up for several days uh, to give you guys the opportunity there uh, to take advantage of that uh, offer. Also, we have the DVD set and streaming video set on the same topic. The book is much more detailed, as I mentioned, much more research, excuse me, research uh, and information, but uh, we still have the videos available that we had last year. So if you didn't pick that up last year, you can check that out uh, this year. So, boy, lots going on in the world, um, and I'm so thankful that Phil chose to kind of shift gears a little bit in the planning stages of this conference and uh, spend some time focusing on Russia, Ukraine, and the New World Order. Uh, it is uh, really an exciting time to be alive as we see end times prophecy unfolding, or at least the setting of the stage for it, <clears throat> before our uh, very eyes. And so right now, of course, all eyes are on Russia uh, and Ukraine, and I want to begin with just a few caveats before I get to the heart of uh, the message. The first thing I want to make sure we all understand, and I, I assume this goes without saying, but that is that death and bloodshed in war are always tragic. I mean, whatever else is going on, uh, one thing is for sure. Innocent people are dying. Children are dying. People's lives are being shattered. Uh, war is a terrible, terrible thing. In fact, I'm reminded of uh, the words of Aldous Huxley, uh, you certainly know the name Aldous Huxley. He was born into the prominent Huxley family, an English writer and philosopher, wrote, I think, over 50 books or somewhere in that neighborhood, many of them novels. Uh, of course, his most famous uh, book is Brave New World, in which he presents a vision of a dystopian world. But uh, <clears throat> one thing about Huxley, he was a well-known pacifist, and he famously said about war this, the most shocking fact about war is that its victims and its instruments are all individual human beings, and that these individual beings are condemned by the monstrous conventions of politics to murder or be murdered in quarrels not their own, end quote. And that is certainly true. Death and bloodshed in war are always tragic, and we need not forget that. We need to pray for uh, the folks in Ukraine and in Russia. And we need to pray especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ over there that are facing uh, this uh, tragedy. But second thing you need to understand is that conflicts in that region date back centuries. This is nothing new, in other words. Similar to the conflicts in Syria and Afghanistan and Libya and other parts of the Middle East, it is seldom about what it's about. I'm going to discuss this a little bit later, but it's part of a technique called the Hegelian dialectic. And... Uh, 
So the next thing we need to understand before I get into the heart of this is, is that the media is selling a false narrative. Uh, you know, is Zelensky a hero? I mean, that, that's really the question. This merchandising suggests he is. Uh, and make no mistake, the hero Zelensky uh, concept is extremely marketable and, uh, and bringing millions in the merchandising arena these days. So is Zelensky a hero or is he a pawn? That's uh, really the question. Uh, you can certainly count on the fact, as we're going to talk about this morning, that the media cannot be trusted. And so whatever narrative they're selling almost certainly is opposite of the truth. There's certainly something much larger at play here. And uh, I can only speculate as to what I think is going on. I don't have any inside information, but I have been studying the Luciferian conspiracy for uh, nearly 20 years now. And, and based on my understanding of how things are working and, and kind of some of their own uh, dis disclosed documents and white papers and their own writings, uh, we can kind of piece together a possible narrative of what really is at play here. So let's get started with first a look at Vladimir Zelensky. <clears throat> Who is Vladimir Zelensky? Uh, he was born January 25th, 1978, and grew up as a native Russian speaker in central Ukraine. Uh, prior to his acting career, he obtained a degree in law from the Kiev National Economic University, and then he pursued a career in comedy and created the production company Kvartal 95, which produced films and cartoons and TV shows, including the TV series Servant of the People. I'm sure you've heard about this by now. But in that TV series, Servant of the People, Zelensky played the role of the Ukrainian president. And the series aired from 2015 to 2019 and was immensely popular. A political party bearing the same name as the television show was created in March of 2018 by employees of the show. And so Zelensky announced his candidacy in the 2019 Ukrainian presidential election on the evening of December 31st, 2018. And uh, as a political outsider, it was quite a bombshell, but he'd, he'd already become one of the front runners in opinion polls because of his popularity with uh, the TV show. He ended up winning the election with 73% of the vote, uh, defeating uh, Poroshenko. So uh, Zelensky has positioned himself as an anti-establishment, anti-corruption figure. He's a huge proponent of social media, and like recent U.S. Presidents Trump and Obama, he makes frequent use of it, especially Twitter, to advance uh, his agenda. His leadership during this uh, crisis has won him widespread international praise, and he's been basically uh, cast as the, the symbol of the Ukrainian resistance. But if you look at some of his uh, tweets, here's a tweet in which he claims Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was his inspiration for entering politics. Well, who is Justin Trudeau? Trudeau is a leading mouthpiece for Klaus Schwab's great satanic reset. Trudeau said, this pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset, and this is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges. <clears throat> Trudeau said, building back better means giving support to the most vulnerable while maintaining a momentum on reaching the 2030 agenda. Now, I've talked elsewhere extensively about Agenda 2021 and Agenda 2030, but it is the UN's playbook for ushering in the satanic one world system. And Trudeau is a huge a part of that. Uh, here he is uh, says nationalism, this is Trudeau, is an old idea from the 19th century. In other words, if you believe in national sovereignty, you're uh, you know old school. You know you need to get with the program. He goes on. Nationalism is based on a smallness of thought that closes in, that builds up barriers between people, and has nothing to do with the Canada we should be building. It stands against everything my father ever believed. Remember, his father was a big time uh, globalist, and there's all kinds of speculation about. Uh, how Trudeau himself, Justin Trudeau, that is, came into this world, but we won't, uh, <clears throat> we won't go there. But so just remember this coming July when we celebrate the incredible freedoms that we have in this country, and we thank the Lord for his fingerprints on this country, as I talk about, talked about in my message yesterday. Uh, Trudeau thinks that our celebration proves that we have, that we're small-minded, that we're not uh, 
with it and, and, and really up to speed on the way the world should really work because nationalism is an, an old idea. Back to uh, Zelensky. Here's a, another uh, tweet here. A popular YouTuber and critic of Pre President Zelensky was arrested in Spain. This is just from May 6th, 2022, so not too long ago. Uh, he was arrested at the behest of Zelensky's Ukrainian government on charges of treason, and he faces extradition uh, despite publicly condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Yes, this really happened. See, Zelensky is not the hero that people are painting him to be, and it shouldn't surprise us at all that Zelensky was influenced by Trudeau. After all, both of these men, Trudeau and Zelensky, are disciples of Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum, the globalist organization behind this now infamous Great Reset. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But uh, the Great Reset, of course, tells the world that by the year 2030, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. But here's a page right from the WEF website uh, promoting Volodymyr Zelensky. The almost universal support for Zelensky by the elite, including support from Defund the Police, Black Lives Matter, leftist mega-donor George Soros, Trudeau, as I mentioned, and American President Joe Biden, and all sides of the mainstream media, should give us great pause. I mean, frankly, whenever the media all agrees on something, that's cause for alarm. What is the real motivation behind the West's condemnation of Russia and praise for Zelensky? Could it be that this is the setup for yet another major war involving the West, and specifically the U.S. I mentioned in my message yesterday that the Luciferian agenda has always intended to bring down America. <clears throat> they have to destroy America in order to usher in their New World Order agenda. And there are many ways that they're seeking to do that, including uh, through uh, some of the socialist woke uh, paradigms that they're promoting through the compulsory government schooling system and the fake news and all of that. Uh, but there are all kinds of outside influences that could result in the destruction of our country as we know it as well. And that includes war. And since the Russian invasion began, there's been a nonstop chorus of emotional pleas demanding that NATO enter the war in Ukraine. Uh, here's an interesting example. One Ukrainian uh, journalist, Daria Kaleniuk, and I may be pronouncing that wrong. I apologize. I'm not good with Russian or Ukrainian. But uh, this journalist from Ukraine made an emotional demand to the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson asking him to instruct NATO to enter the war in Ukraine. And it was later discovered that she's not a journalist at all, but a member of the World Economic Forum and runs initiatives locally backed by Soros throughout Eastern Europe. So do we still think Zelensky is a hero? Well, what about Vladimir Putin? Vladimir Putin is more well-known because he's been around longer. He was born in uh, 1952 in Leningrad, what is now uh, St. Petersburg, I believe. But uh, he was a Russian politician and former intelligence officer. Uh, he has filled that role since 2012. He had also been president from 2000 to 2008. He was prime minister from 1999 to 2000 and again from 20, 2008 to 2012. But in 1998, Putin was appointed deputy head of management under Boris Yeltsin's administration and put in charge of Kremlin's relations with regional governments. Shortly afterwards, he was appointed the head of the Federal Security, which is an arm of the former KGB, and he was placed as head of Yeltsin's Security Council. So uh, Putin's background in high-level KGB uh, you know, activities is well-known and well-documented. Uh, uh, but he, too, of course, is highly connected to Klaus Schwab. Here he is on January 27th of 2021 speaking at a World Economic Forum event, and I don't, I'm not going to play the video for you, although I do have some video clips to play in this message today. Uh, but in this case, I just wanted to tell you that Putin, or, or rather uh, Schwab, welcomed and introduced Putin at the beginning of this speech that Putin gave by saying, quote, Russia is an important global power with a long-standing tradition of participating in the World Economic Forum. Of course, now, the World Economic Forum, pushing the globalist agenda, is siding with everyone else and trying to tell us that Russia is bad, Ukraine is good. I'm here to tell you they're both bad. They both are not about what they're about. There's a bigger agenda at play. But just to tell you that as recently as last year, Klaus Schwab was singing the praises of Putin and welcoming him as a, an important global power 
at a WEF event. So the significance of the connection between Zelensky, Putin, and the World Economic Forum cannot be overstated. Understanding the role of the World Economic Forum in the Luciferian conspiracy and the coming New World Order is essential for properly interpreting the current Russia-Ukraine conflict. So let's take a look at Putin, Zelensky, and the World Economic Forum. Most of you should know the name Klaus Schwab by now and are probably well acquainted with the World Economic Forum and their Build Back Better concept, uh, which is just another way of saying order out of chaos. But every single news item today can be connected back to the World Economic Forum. Uh, they talk about uh, so-called stakeholder capitalism or this concept of stakeholders, which really is just another way of saying uh, we are here to help you but you don't have really have a say in it. You're a stakeholder, but you have no authority, no input, no say in the matter. Just sit down, be quiet, let us tell you what to do. We elites will run the world. Um, the World Economic Forum and the United Nations have signed a partnership agreement uh, to accelerate the 2030 agenda. The World Economic Forum is also working in partnership with the G20 Summit on Economic Change, and they're also behind the World Smart Cities Alliance. I mean, the World Economic Forum is really at the tip of the spear in the globalist agenda right now. They're behind the UFN, United for News program, which works with mass media worldwide to influence the news. I'll have more to say about that in a few moments. But the founding documents of the World Economic Forum create a perpetual board that is related to Klaus Schwab. In other words, they get to pick their own successors. Now, the most influential group that spurned the creation of, uh, or spawned, I should say, the creation of the World Economic Forum back in 1971 was the Club of Rome. Now, this is a secret group that was founded in 1968 in a meeting at the home of the Rockefeller family. Now, I might mention, I don't have a slide for this, but I do have an eight-part video series entitled What in the World is Going On that is available at the Not By Works store in which I have one whole video dedicated to secret societies and kind of the role they've played in the Luciferian agenda, and we talk in more detail about uh, the Club uh, of Rome. Uh, but what's interesting is uh, the World Economic Forum isn't simply the brainchild of Klaus Schwab, as a lot of people would have you to believe, or didn't float only from the Club of Rome. It has some connections to a CIA-funded Harvard program headed by Henry Kissinger and pushed to fruition by John Kenneth Galbraith, another Harvard professor, and the, uh, the real Dr. Strangelove, if you're familiar with that uh, 1964 Stanley Kubrick film. Uh, but anyway, also Herman Kahn of the Rand Corporation. Those three men got together. It's an amazing story. You should look it up. But they uh, basically hand-recruited Klaus Schwab at an event at Harvard. And, uh, you know, the rest, as they say, uh, is history. Uh, but the World Economic Forum is widely known for its annual meeting at the end of January in Davos, Switzerland. And often you'll hear world leaders, wealthy elites, and people like that uh, referred to by the mainstream media as Davos men or Davos women. Uh, but uh, one of the interesting uh, books that was put out by the Club of Rome in, back in the early 70s was called Limits to Growth, in which they advocated for depopulation. And the book is extremely influential to this day among eugenicists and other depopulation uh, uh, heralds that are out there trying to talk about how we've got to get rid of the useless breeders, uh, frequently mentioned positively by the main uh, stream media. And I get into that in great detail in my new book, A Spirit of the Antichrist. We have a whole chapter on depopulation. So I encourage you to, to pick that up and, and, and be aware of uh, this whole eugenics agenda. Uh, but the World Economic Forum has been working for some time on what they call the Great Reset, what I call the Great Satanic Reset, and this did not come about simply as a reaction to COVID, though a lot of people thought it did because you went to the WEF website and they had, re they had changed all of their information on their websites and all of their graphics to reflect uh, a response to COVID-19. But all of that was already there. They'd been pushing for a massive comprehensive global agenda long before the elites rolled out the uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic, which, by the way, had been planned for 22 years. We've got the smoking gun evidence of that in Chapter 9 of my book, where I give undebatable uh, evidence that this was not something that happened or organically. It was planned. Uh, but the uh, uh, this global uh, you know, agenda, of course, is being sponsored not just by the WEF, but by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, 
And I realize they're not together anymore, but I think the foundation is still called by the same name, Bill and Melinda Gates, the Rockefeller Foundations, uh, George Soros, and many others. But the question then is, does this represent the Luciferian endgame? You know, I talked about in, in yesterday's message how the elite have, have always tried to seize opportunities to really go get across the finish line. And I think they're at the one-yard line now, and they really see an opportunity for this long-awaited one-world system to come about. Uh, we know biblically that the Antichrist will ultimately take the helm of the one-world system after the rapture, uh, but there's nothing scripturally that precludes that system from already being in place. In fact, many have said de facto we're already living in a one-world system, but what they want is an actual, explicit one-world system with a one-world government, one-world religion, one-world economy, uh, and so forth and so on. Uh, so get ready, because what I'm about to explain is going to make even those of you who are well-studied in the Luciferian conspiracy cringe a little bit. And, and if you're entirely unaware of what I'm about to talk about, then all I can say is get ready, because uh, you know we're about to enter the asylum. And uh, those of you who prefer a more upbeat, positive chicken soup for the soul pep talk, then, you know, this probably isn't the message for you because we're covering a lot of bad news that's happening right before our eyes. But as I mentioned in the first session this morning, let's never forget that the Lord's plan is no match for the Luciferian plot. And we know who wins in the end. Uh, but nevertheless, it's not a good idea to stick your head in the sand and ignore what's happening because if the Lord tarries is coming, it could have drastic uh, implications, what, what's happening could, have drastic implications for our family, for our children, for our grandchildren. So don't despair. Uh, we know who wins, but let's uh, let's talk about this great reset. So uh, Klaus Schwab wrote a book after, after COVID-19 uh, was rolled out called COVID-19, The Great Reset. And uh, in it, he explains how we are using the COVID-19 pandemic as a pretext for ushering in this long-planned agenda of a one-world economic, political, and religious system. You've seen many uh, mainstream publications talking about this Great Reset here on the cover of Time magazine. You can see uh, the, the, the artistic depiction there of recreating uh, the world according to their agenda. And the man behind the World Economic Forum, of course, is Klaus Schwab. And Klaus Schwab was born in Ravensburg uh, in 1938 in southern Germany, about 445 miles south of Berlin, but only about 100 miles north across the border from Davos, Switzerland. Klaus Schwab is a child of Adolf Hitler's Germany, a police state regime built on fear and violence, on brainwashing and control, on propaganda and lies, on eugenics, on dehumanization and disinfection, they called it. He's a brainchild of Hitler's Germany that was built on chilling and grandiose vision of a new order that would last a thousand years. Now Schwab is in his 80s now and so it, it's understandable that there is an urgency on his part and the part of the other aging Luciferians to really get this across the finish line. Schwab has dedicated his life to reinventing Hitler's dystopian nightmare and trying to turn it into not just reality for Germany but for the whole world. His own words, as we're going to look at in a moment, confirm time and time again his twisted, satanic, transhumanist vision, which will merge humans with machines uh, in a curious mix of digital and analog life, as he calls it, which will infect our bodies with smart dust, and which the police will be able to use to read our brains. As we shall also see, he and his Luciferian co-conspirators are using the COVID-19 crisis to bypass democratic accountability, to override opposition, to accelerate their agenda and impose it on the rest of mankind in what they term this great reset. Now, Klaus Schwab likes to appear in his galactic garb when making major announcements, as you see on the screen there. Unsurprisingly, Schwab is connected to Jeffrey Epstein, like most others that are part of the Luciferian elite. Schwab is the front man for the New World Order agenda. While the Luciferian conspiracy is by no means monolithic, meaning there's just one central figure pulling all the strings, right now the fact of the matter is Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum are clearly in the driver's seat. He's at mission command, which is probably not bad because he looks like he's wearing a mission command suit of some kind. I don't know. Uh, but Schwab's, his, Schwab's history on the uh, Internet has been well sanitized, making it difficult to find out much about his early life. And that's because... His family was active in the Nazi agenda during World War II uh, in uh, Germany. 
his father served in a youth camp uh, as a youth prison guard there. Bill Gates has become a fixture at the World Economic Forum starting in 1996. Henry Kissinger is also a very influential person throughout the history of the World Economic Forum, as I mentioned earlier, as was the, the, the uh, late David Rockefeller, and of course Al Gore. At their annual meet and many others, this is just a sampling, at their annual meetings in Davos, they often have meditation sessions on mindfulness in which they try to imagine a better world free from overpopulation and all of us useless breathers. The World Economic Forum is essentially the COVID response headquarters. Uh, All of the big pharma corporations, including all the ones that have produced COVID vaccinations, are listed as key partners on the WEF site. Schwab said the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. In his book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, he says, at the time of writing, the pandemic continues to worsen globally. Many of us are pondering when things will return to normal. The short answer is never. And you can almost hear the hint of hopefulness and wishfulness in his voice as he writes this. He says nothing will ever return to the broken sense of normalcy that prevailed prior to the crisis because the coronavirus pandemic marks a fundamental inflection point in our global trajectory. Some analysts call it a major bifurcation, he says. Others refer to a deep crisis of biblical proportions. But the essence remains the same. The world as we knew it in the early months of 2020 is no more, dissolved in the context of the pandemic. He goes on, radical changes, such of such consequence are coming that some pendants have referred to a before coronavirus, BC, and after coronavirus, AC, era. We will continue to be surprised by both the rapidity and unexpected nature of these changes. As they conflate with each other, they will provoke second, third, fourth, and more order consequences, cascading effects, and unforeseen outcomes. The New York Times and the Financial Times of London both had articles and I talk about this in one of my other uh, presentations, in which they talk about a B.C. and A.C. world. His other book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, came out in 2013. But in it, he's already laying the groundwork for what it would become so prominent in the reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic. For example, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, or 4IR, as they like to call it, will affect the very essence of our human existence. It's basically techno-tyranny. So they have a comprehensive blueprint of what they're planning to do. It's right there on their website. And as I mentioned, it was already prominent on their website before COVID occurred. And Klaus Schwab said, To achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies from education to social contracts and working conditions. Now, by now, I'm sure most of you have seen the 90-second promo that the WEF put out in which they explain their eight goals for the coming New World Order. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play it anyway because it's so profound, especially number one, as you shall see here in just a moment.
So checks and balances for sure, but not the kind of checks and balances that uh, you think they're talking about. The biggest point that he made there was that you'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it. I actually watched a seminar put on by the World Economic Forum in which the speaker, a World Economic Forum representative, was literally mocking those who thought they needed to own things. Uh, she, she just kept saying, I don't understand why this is a big deal. You know, why can't you just lease it? Why do you need to own something? And that's because they don't want you to own anything. They want you to be owned. And they are, by the way, promoting this great reset in every conceivable outlet through compulsory government schooling, obviously through the media, through higher education. Here it is on a public children's program trying to program and condition our kids about this. Hello, everybody. It is I, your cute and adorable Bob Grover, with a message for listeners of the Great Reset. Well, you are in luck because I know a thing or two about resetting. Mm-hmm. I reset my alarm clock every morning. <laughs> but you are talking about resetting the entire world. You are talking about resetting the entire world. That's what they want our children to understand. They want them to think uh, that they've been born into an era where everything is changing and nothing will be normal. Their parents, our way of life is just, you know, old school. Uh, the Great Reset is being advanced as a necessary response to this global pandemic, but it goes far beyond that. This is just part of their plan. They've been trying to roll this out uh, for many, many years, hundreds of years in the grand scheme of the Luciferian conspiracy, but particularly in the modern age for the last 100 to 150 years. It's being couched in terms like global governance, biosecurity, the new normal, the new deal for nature, and as I mentioned, the fourth IR. And Schwab sits right at the center of this matrix like a spider on a giant web. His aim is to replace democracy with a global leadership of hand-picked and unelected officials whose duty is not to serve the public but to impose the rule of the Luciferian elite that, the, that, that uh, with as little interference from the public as possible. Now, a book that you may not be familiar with, this is sort of late-breaking. It just came out a few weeks ago, the uh, new book by Klaus Schwab called The Great Narrative. <clears throat> and we uh, see him increasing in his boldness of just in-your-face you know, agenda that he's rolling out. He and the other Luciferians are rolling out. So I want to give you several quotes from this new book that my guess is uh, you haven't seen before, although with the excellent speakers that we have at the conference this year, uh, it's possible that some of them picked up on this and gave you some quotes as well. And if so, I apologize for the repetition. But this is from The Great Narrative, published uh, just earlier this year. Schwab says, The pandemic has occurred at a very particular juncture when our economies and societies seem ill-suited to many of the challenges that lie ahead. Watch this. When the geopolitical and technological landscapes are being reshaped in a way that will make them unrecognizable in just a few years. Solutions to the major challenges we face do exist and are within grasp, but they will require a great deal of innovation and dramatic changes in our economies and societies, now listen, as well as in the institutions, laws, and rules that govern them. Our life habits and modes of consumption will also need to change dramatic or drastically. Could cryptocurrencies advance environmental objectives and the policies that support them. I talked about this recently on a radio show that I was a guest on. And, of course, I'm sure you've heard by now uh, all of the comments that were made at the World uh, Global Summit, uh, uh, Global World Summit, I forget what it's called exactly, but uh, Pippa Malmgren and several others made comments about how this uh, cryptocurrency and a one-world you know, digital currency is coming at light speed, and you need to be prepared for it. Um, but here in his book, he's talking about how that could be used to accelerate the demise of the U.S. dollar. He says it right in, in your face. Disruption is coming. It will be both good and bad and major. In other words, don't come crying to me, he says, when your whole world is shocked and turned upside down. I warned you. Uh, he goes on, the fundamental issue of how our newfound ability to manipulate life will impact our humanness challenges our beliefs morals, religions, and politics at their very core. And we are ill-prepared for that. Here he quotes uh, Edward Osborne Wilson, who was an American biologist, naturalist, and writer, 
Uh, his specialty was the study of ants. In fact, he was nicknamed the Ant-Man, uh, being considered the world's leading expert on ants. But notice what Wilson said, and of course uh, Schwab here is quoting it positively. We have Paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technologies. And then Schwab comments, indeed. Well, what's he saying there? Well, Paleolithic, it means, you know, primitive, cave-like, secular Darwinian uh, t uh, t term, if you will, that refers to uh, two or three million years ago when man was just learning how to chisel stone. And he says, that's, that's what our emotions are like. In other words, what he's saying is our emotions are outdated. Our institutions like marriage, church, national sovereignty, they're medieval. Yet our technologies, he said, are godlike. In other words, we're like a 13-year-old getting behind the controls of a jumbo jet. And we need the Luciferian elite, the initiated, to show us how to fly it. He goes on to say, nothing is more effective than the power of narratives. That is to say, developing stories that are both pertinent and convincing to others. I talked in my first session about the, the uh, technique of deception and lying and secrecy. Well, here he's basically telling you, we're going to lie to you. We're going to give you narratives that will be convincing. He goes on, that this is the best way to motivate those with whom we interact socially, politically, and economically, and to move this agenda forward. What's the best way to do it? By creating narratives that further the agenda. It is a new, this new golden age would require major institutional innovations, among them a supranational institution to regulate finance at the global level. So that's just a, a few salient quotes from his brand new book. But before we go deeper down this rabbit hole, um, I, I want to uh, pause and, and talk about something I've talked about before at the Mid-America Prophecy Conference. But I've got some new clips that just uh, remind us that once again of just how much of a formidable foe this is. And that is Operation Mockingbird. Uh, Operation Mockingbird is a CIA operation that was used to control the narrative and control the media. And it is still going on today. I talk about this extensively in my book. We have a chapter on it. I, I quote from the church committee hearings and, uh, and give you some very powerful information that shows that it is still going on uh, today, even though it was started back in uh, the 50s. But this next clip is one I've not shown here before, at least not this precise clip, although I'm sure many of you have seen similar iterations of this. But this is just a demonstration of how all of the local news media are controlled. In fact, one-third of local news stations are owned by one company, and then the rest are owned by other conglomerates. And, you know, so we tend to have this impression that when we watch our local news, you know, somehow we're getting more reliable information, but it's only the biggies like CNN or Fox News that are controlled. Not true. Uh, so they're all reading a script. And this is about a 90-second clip of a piece that uh, we show clips from several different, uh, you know, dozens of local media outlets all reading the same clip. And I want you to watch closely the eyes of these local anchors. And you can see that they're just reading a script. Now, the context of this piece is they're all doing a story about the dangers of so-called fake news and how we really need a truth ministry to kind of help govern that and so forth. But just watch this clip. San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest responsibility is to serve our Treasure Valley communities, the El Paso Las Cruces communities, Eastern Iowa communities, Mid Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. <clears throat> The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish the same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media Extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 
This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. So you can see that uh, obviously this is just one example. If you go to uh, Rumble or YouTube or some other places, you can even find other uh, examples of that. Uh, but it's never about what it's about. And they've been controlling the agenda, as they are doing right now with the Russia-Ukraine conflict, uh, for decades, for more than half a century. And even, you know, some of us who are old enough to remember Walter Cronkite and always thought, boy, you can you can trust Walter Cronkite, right? It's it's uh, he's uh, he's certainly not part of this. Well, you'd be shocked. Here's a clip of Cronkite referring to evangelical Christian conservatives who think that only Christ can preside over a one world government as uh, as lunatics, essentially. Listen to what he says. This is at a World Federation meeting where he's receiving an award for world government. Watch this clip. Their leader, Pat Robertson, has written in a book a few years ago that we should have a world government, but only when the Messiah arrives. He wrote, literally, any attempt to achieve world order before that time must be the work of the devil. Well, join me. I'm glad to sit here at the right hand of Satan. Well, join me, he said. I'm proud to sit here at the right hand of Satan. And he definitely was. A little bit later in that same presentation, they gave a video feed of then uh, First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton congratulating Cronkite. Let's watch that clip. We would like to bring you a message from the First Lady of the United States, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Good evening and congratulations, Walter, on receiving the World Federalist Association's Global Governance Award. For more than a generation in America, it wasn't the news until Walter Cronkite told us it was the news. So he was receiving the Global Governance Award, and notice that last statement there, kind of a little double entendre there. It wasn't the news until Walter Cronkite told us it was the news. So today, the news media is not just giving information. They are advancing an agenda. And that has been the way it's always been uh, since Operation Mockingbird uh, took over. Maybe that's why William Casey, former CIA director under Reagan, said, we will know our disinformation campaign is complete when everything the American public believes is a lie. And Richard Salant, former president of CBS News, said, Our job is to give people not what they want, but what we decide they ought to have. See, the media is a key player in advancing this agenda. And uh, it's really weapons of mass deception. Uh, that's why it's so important for people to, to have access to alternative media and alternative resources. And I encourage you to uh, pick up my new book, Spirit of the Antichrist, because in it I've got 38 pages of bibliographic citation where you can go in and check things out for yourself, books and websites and other uh, information outlets that I think will help you as you begin to awaken to this the world as it really exists in these twilight days. You know, I heard uh, Michelle Bachman on a, on a radio program recently talk about how we are living in the twilight of civilization uh, if something's not done about this uh, uh, New World Order agenda. And, and she's right. Uh, she's right. We really are. You know, my uh, first time, my first uh, full-time church after Wendy and I were married 32 year, 30 years ago uh, was uh, in a Midwest farming community. <clears throat> and uh, it was fun. Uh, we had our first two children there. And <clears throat> I really enjoyed about, uh, enjoyed the time talking to the old timers there about farming and planting and harvesting. And I learned a lot and I would get to ride out with them in their old uh, uh, you know, in some of their uh, big machinery and so forth and just have some great discussions. But I learned uh, from them that back in the old days, this is what a manure spreader looked like. They were horse-drawn, and there were different styles, but they were horse-drawn. And then as time went on, you had the more industrial age manure spreaders. But what I've come to realize is that modern manure spreaders look like this. And indeed, uh, they are selling us a line. 
And uh, since we're talking about harmful poisons, let's not remember the mainstream media is harmful if swallowed. Uh, Gary Allen in None Dare Call a Conspiracy said, We believe the picture painters of the mass media are artfully creating landscapes for us which deliberately hide the real picture. And let's not forget what David Rockefeller said uh, in an address before the Trilateral Commission in 1991. He said, We are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. Listen to this. He said, It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the bright lights of publicity during those years. And as I think I quoted last year, maybe that's why Thomas Jefferson famously said, people who don't read the newspapers know more than those who do, because it's more dangerous to be misinformed than it is uh, to be uninformed. Mark Twain famously said how easy it is to make people believe a lie, and then how hard it is to undo that work again. This has been truncated and sort of recast as the statement, it is easier to fool people than to convince them they have been fooled. One of my favorite statements. But the actual quote, uh, as you see here, is how easy it is to make people believe a lie and how hard it is to undo that work. Again, Leonardo da Vinci, and I give this quote in the epigraph to my new book, there are three classes of people. Those who see, those who see when they are shown, and those who do not see. If we're, I hope, I hope that you're going to be in the group that sees. I really do. And if we're to have any hope against the rising tide of pretense that will only get worse between now and the rapture, we've got to learn to study the facts for ourselves. Because, yeah, because most Christians only have an appetite for chicken soup for the soul sound bites. Most Christians are deceived about the way things really are. An 18th century British theologian put it this way. William Paley said, there's a principle which cannot keep um, fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance, and this is contempt prior to examination. So the Word of God tells us that we're to study the works of the Lord. Are you studying all of life and all of geopolitical events and current events through the lens of Scripture and through the lens of God's you know plan of the ages? Uh, or are you simply gobbling everything up, hook, line, and sinker? Don't forget what Carl Sagan said. One of the saddest lessons of history is this. If we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. And then we see uh, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe saying, None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Why is it always the atheists, you know, like Voltaire, that seem to connect the dots and get what's really happening? He said, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And Hitler knew that well. Hitler uh, was heavily influenced by Darwin. Darwin was his hero. And Hitler was simply living out a Darwinian ethic in the geopolitical realm. Hitler said, the principle which is quite true in itself is that in the big lie, there is always a certain force of credibility. Vladimir Lenin said a lie told often enough becomes the truth. And of course, uh, Eric Arthur Blair, better known by his pen name George Orwell, said in an age of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. So I want to go uh, into uh, the Hegelian dialectic, which is just a couple of slides here to explain what I think may be happening with Russia and Ukraine. So the Hegelian dialectic, named after George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, he was a German philosopher who, along with Immanuel Kant, is considered one of the most influential modern uh, figures of philosophy and Western philosophy. But basically, he said the synthetic solution to conflicts can't be introduced unless the, those being manipulated take a side that will advance a predetermined agenda. In other words, the elite have a goal that they want to accomplish. But it's much easier to get people to come along and do that willingly. So they, they manufacture a conflict where they can easily anticipate what the reaction is going to be. And they create the conflict in such a way that the reaction will be just what the elite want to accomplish their agenda. So, for example, if you want to shut down the alt-media, then you start creating fake news stories and cause a public outcry about it and claim that we need some type of agency to, to police Big Brother 
uh, I mean, to police the Internet and create Big Brother censorship. And the result is what they wanted all along. Uh, you know, so it's thesis, antithesis, synthesis, the removal of free speech. Another way to say it is it's, the Hegelian dialectic is a framework for guiding thoughts and actions into conflicts that lead to synthetic solutions, which can only be introduced once those being manipulated take a side. It's also known as controlled opposition or problem reaction solution. So if you want to centralize power, well, you've got to create a manufactured terrorist threat, which will then lead us to beg for a repressive police state and give up all of our rights. And that's what they wanted all along was the removal of freedoms and the transport of power from the many to the few. The Hegelian dialectic, we provide a problem, you provide a reaction, and then together we provide a solution. So if they wanted a global tracking system, well, let's create a manufactured pandemic. And the answer to that is contact tracing. We've got to do that. Well, in the end, it results in the forfeiture of individual rights and full spectrum uh, control. So another reality to all of this is false flags. And uh, if you kind of want to get a picture of what might be happening over in Russia, you need to be familiar with this. False flag operations are commonly taught in the American War College. So our stand-down operations, for example, we've seen these again and again and again. The Gulf of Tonkin incident on August 4th, 1964, we found out 50 years later, was completely made up. It did not happen, and yet it led to, according to the U.S. National Archives, the death of 58,220 U.S. soldiers that perished in the Vietnam War. Never happened. It was just an, a, a pretext to get us into the Vietnam War. We've seen this again and again. We see it through FBI Operation COINTELPRO. We saw it after World War II with Operation Gladio. You could go back to uh, the Spanish-American War and the uh, explosion of the USS Maine. Uh, you remember the famous quote from William Randolph Hearst, you furnish the pictures and I'll furnish the war. They, they fomented that whole thing. Now, if you get to, when you get to back to Scripture here, the Battle of Gog and Magog, I think, could have some bearing on what we see playing out over there in that region of the company of the country. Now, I'm sure some of our other speakers have talked about this, but the key passage is Ezekiel 38, uh, verse 2. Son of man, set your face against Gog, the leader of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Persia, Ethiopia, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togarma from the far north. So when you see these lands, these are all modern-day regions that are in the news every day right now. Iran, Sudan, Libya, Turkey. Syria. And, uh, you know, this is all playing a part in the setting of the stage for what's happening. So as Russia expands its empire, it's trying to engulf the region and ultimately the entire war uh, world into a global war so that they can fulfill uh, the biblical prophecy of the Battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and come against Israel. Now, I believe this is going to happen after the rapture, prior to the signing of the peace treaty, in fact, I believe it's going to be what gives rise to the future Antichrist uh, fame is the outgrowth uh, from this battle. Uh, but good scholars disagree on that. I'm not going to die on that hill. But regardless of the precise timing of the Battle of Gog and Magog, clearly what we see happening before us uh, should get our attention and say, could this be the setting of the stage? We know that uh, Putin has been very chummy uh, lately with uh, uh, Iran and, and some of the other leaders that are mentioned there in the Ezekiel passage. Now, before I close, I want to bring us back to Scripture and kind of put this into a biblical worldview perspective. We need to understand what's happening in the grand scheme of things. And so I call this human government and God's plan of the ages. First, we need to understand God's priority of relationships. And if you don't understand Genesis 1 through 11, you'll never understand Bible prophecy or any other biblical teaching for that matter. But it starts with man-God as the highest priority, then husband-wife, second, then parent-child, third, and then ultimately citizen-government. And I want to zero in on the citizen-government aspect because throughout human history for 6,000 years, we've had two types of government. The first was globalism. Globalism was how the world was created. God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it. But over time... We saw the shift after the events of Genesis 6 and after the global flood into a nationalistic worldview, a nationalistic world paradigm, I guess I should say. And we see this in the Table of Nations in Genesis 17. And so if we look at the date of the flood, uh, we find out here the flood started when Noah was roughly 600 
or roughly 1,656 years after creation. In other words, it didn't take long for Satan to work his evil spell. If we put the date into the modern time frame, the date of the flood would be calculated by today's date, 2348 B.C. So we have now been another 4,369 years since the beginning of the flood, but it certainly did not take Satan long uh, to wreak his havoc and cause God to destroy the earth. So when you come to Genesis 11, you find an interesting statement. This is circa 2242 B.C. The whole earth had one language and one speech. The whole earth had one language and one speech. It was it, was, it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and asphalt they had for mortar. And they said, Let us build a tower for ourselves whose top is in the heavens. Now, why did they want to build a tower? To understand the reason, we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 10 and a warrior named Nimrod. We read that Cush begot Nimrod. Nimrod was a grandson of Ham and son of Cush, Ham's son, uh, one of Noah's sons. And the Hebrew name Nimrod means we shall rebel. The biblical Nimrod is the first powerful king on earth. The first cities in his kingdom were cities like Babylon and Nineveh and Cala in Assyria. And according to Josephus, he, Nimrod, persuaded them to attribute their prosperity not to God, but to their own valor. And little by little transformed the state of affairs into tyranny, holding that the only way to detach men from the fear of God was by making them continuously dependent upon his power. He threatened to have his revenge on God if he wished to inundate the earth again, for he would build a tower higher than the water could reach and avenge the destruction of their forefathers. So I'm not sure if you've ever made the connection before between the Tower of Babel and the Flood, but the reason they built that tower was once again they were trying to overcome God, usurp his authority, break the cords and bind bindings that Psalm 2 uh, of God's sovereignty that Psalm 2 talks about. And so they built this uh, a tower. And so God said, let us come down there and confuse their language. And he scattered them abroad from there. And he called the place Babel. Babel means confusion. And so that brought us back to a time of nationalism. And that's where we're living today in this present age. We're, uh, we're in a, an age of nationalism. But we're headed towards globalism one way or the other. First, it's going to be a satanic uh, globalism. Uh, which Satan, through the revived Roman Empire and through the Antichrist, rules the whole earth. And they're going to have authority given over every tribe, tongue, and nation. His authority, the dragon, the Satan, gives him his power and throne and great authority. He deceives the entire world. So this is the satanic phase of globalism. But one day, uh, he's going to be cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years and then ultimately into the lake of fire. And he will deceive the nations no more. And then at that time, as we read about in Psalm 2, the anointed, the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself will come, take the throne and rule in perfect peace and righteousness and justice. And so the Bible really comes full circle from a divine globalism through a period of thousands of years of nationalism, which is where we are today and what we should fight for. We don't want to return to globalism until God says it's time to return to globalism. But at that time, we will see that he has set his king on his holy hill. And as uh, Solomon said, one of only two psalms that Solomon wrote, at that time the whole earth will be filled with his glory. The government will be upon his shoulder, Isaiah told us. And uh, the increase of his government and kingdom and power, there will be no end from that time forward uh, forevermore. So essentially, uh, as Daniel tells us, the God of heaven is going to set up a global kingdom someday that will be ruled with perfect peace and righteousness and justice. And it will be an everlasting kingdom. So if you look at my end times chart, essentially what we're talking about is we are living in the present church age, which is an age of nationalism, but we are headed back to an age of globalism. It will be led at first by the Antichrist in a time of unprecedented satanic tyranny, but eventually by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords himself. So how does Russia, Ukraine, and that battle that's going on over there fit into this? Well, it seems to me it's clearly setting the stage for the return to a one-world system. They want to uh, foment war, drag the United States and NATO into it so they can you know, create a hot war and really devastate the world and then build back better, as they've been talking about, order out of chaos. So I'm out of time for this session. I want to remind you again that you can pick up the new book. I talk about a lot of this stuff 
in there and kind of explain how we're headed in, into this Luciferian conspiracy. Uh, go to spiritoftheantichrist.org, spiritoftheantichrist.org. Don't forget to use shipping code TULSA, all caps, T-U-L-S-A, and you can get that book or anything else from our site uh, at no shipping charge. So thanks again for this time. Let me pray and we will uh, finish up. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you that it gives us everything we need for life and godliness. It tells us your plan of the ages. And we are so comforted to know that none of what is happening is surprising to you, that you are in full uh, control and that we look forward and welcome uh, the coming day when all will be made right in the world. Until then, Lord, help us to make sure our spiritual houses are in order. If there's anyone within the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Savior, I pray that they would place their faith even right now in the only one that can forgive sin and give eternal life because he died and rose again for their sins. And for those of us that already know the Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen our faith, help us to stay rooted in your word, and help us to be prepared for what may be coming around the corner. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.